Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Today, I am going to, once again, bring a message sharing on our current series, which is called First Things First. This is our fourth consistent week on it, but we have been sharing other messages in between other speakers. And just for those of you who do not, do not, uh, may not have been here every week or may not have um, been here when these messages have been spoken, I'm just going to do a little bit of a recap just to remind us of where we've come through and what we've been studying together. Um, I brought a message introducing this series um, on the prophet Haggai and the message that he had for the nation of Israel. And uh, they were in exile, they were taken over by the Babylonians, and he had a message for them to rebuild the temple. And even though they tried, they were faced with opposition, they ended up neglecting that uh, requirement and spent many years before they actually rebuilt the one thing that would draw them closer to their Lord God. And for us, I believe there was a message for us to recognize what we're neglecting in our walk with God. These disciplines that are so important as we build our faith and build our relationship with him. So we've, we've experienced several messages over these weeks. Messages on choosing whom we will serve, whether we will rely on ourselves or whether we will choose to rely on God. He's our strength. He, is, he helps us endure. We lean on him rather than leaning on our own capabilities. We realize we are limited, but God is unlimited. So we trust in him. We've had messages on worship, having a genuine heart of worship. What does that look like? It, it goes, extends beyond what we do on a Sunday. It's an everyday attitude. And we explored what that looked like. We've, we've looked at the purpose and priority of prayer, how that is our direct communication with our Lord. What a privilege that is, that we can commune with him on a daily basis. We've, we've heard about the importance of meditating on God's word, dwelling on, on the scriptures, dwelling on what is God saying through his word and what does it mean. And also we heard last week from Alex a bold word on solitude. Spending time with Jesus, being at his feet like Mary was, fixing our eyes on him. He has to be the central focus, otherwise that solitude has no meaning. We don't receive anything of benefit if Jesus is not our focus. So we've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? Um, I know for me, this is, this is my third message in this series. For me personally, this will be the last message I share in this series. I don't know about our other speakers. I'll leave it up to them. Uh, keep you on your toes. But for me, what I'm sharing today, this is a discipline that I'm very impassioned about. It's something that I think is very important. Um, but I also believe it can very much be neglected if we're not careful. Um, so for some of us, it could be a gentle reminder. Or for some of us, it may be a wake-up call. Um, wherever you are today, I pray that this message reaches your heart, reaches our heart. It was, for me, even a challenge pulling it together. And I think that's a good thing. I think we need to be challenged. We need to be woken up sometimes because we can go day to day sometimes without giving things a second thought and for me even pulling this together it was a wake-up call for me to be like I need to make sure that I make this is a first discipline for me when I look at it but before I'm going to keep you on the toes a bit more before I share 
that. I'm just going to give a little bit of analogy just to, to start things off and to make sure we're all paying attention this morning. From a younger age, we are, as kids, flown in, flung into education from a young, from our, all our childhood is basically defined by education, isn't it? You're brought up in school and we are learning different subjects, different materials. We're going through an education system that brings in, sub, it brings in different ideas, different thoughts, and we're constantly learning. I think if we are being honest with ourselves, I think our whole life we will constantly be learning, learning new things, learning new skills, new thought process, trying to gain more and more understanding. Learning kind of is definitive for the rest of our lives. We're constantly taking in new things. Now, there's one joy that I think we can all agree on that we love from education, and it's that moment when you reach that last day of school, a Friday before the weekend. It's your last class in, the, in school, the last five minutes, and the teacher says the best words ever. Your homework for the weekend <laughs> is as follows. You've just planned, oh, I'm going to have time with my friends, I'm going to enjoy the summer sun, and then the teachers drop that bombshell. It's a bit all too real, isn't it? Here's your homework, and you, so it needs to be in on Monday. So you know the whole weekend you've got to study, which is not fun. However, I did find out something inf interesting about homework. Apparently, homework is important because it develops study habits and independent learning. It encourages learners to do their own research, acquire their own resources, rather than relying on everything being handed to them on a silver platter. Homework also benefits factual knowledge, self-discipline, attitudes to learning, and problem-solving skills. So it's quite important, actually, isn't it? I think, like I said, I think learning applies to all walks of life, but it requires us to be responsive in order for us to get the best outcome. You know, I, I was th trying to think of examples, and I look at our married couples, I think there's a constant learning there, husbands and wives learning from each other how best to communicate with each other, how best to be the best team for each other. It's a constant learning process. Alex said about having a newborn baby, it's kind of like a roller coaster. And you're going to constantly learn how to be the best parent to that child, learning what, what they're responsive to and how best to communicate with them. I, of course, have no experience in any of these things, so you can't hold me to that. You'll have to go for them for that. Now, today, you're, you're probably understanding where I'm going here. Um, today, I personally believe that biblical literacy is in rapid decline. And the diligent study and faithful application of the word is more than not neglected and sometimes replaced by convenience or compromise. This world is constantly moving, constantly moving in a direction that is opposed to what we see in the Word. And more often than not, the temptation is to ignore those challenging parts in Scripture that go against the norm of society, to brush over it because we don't understand it, or maybe it makes us feel a little bit unsettled, or simply because we believe it has no relevance today, so let's not read it. 
one question I want to ask us before I delve in properly into today's message is, do we value the importance of studying the Word of God? Is it a priority? We heard from Ruth a couple of weeks ago just the importance of meditating on the Word, taking it in, dwelling and considering what it is saying. And when it comes to faithfully abiding by and living in accordance to the word, we have to have some understanding of its intended meaning of the text at the time it was written before discerning its application today. It's hard work, and it requires discipline. And it requires us to be diligent and faithful in our study of scripture. So today, I'm going to turn to a psalm as a basis of where we're drawing from. I could draw from many passages of scripture, but I thought this psalm says it so perfectly. Now, I would like to share all of it, but if I did, I wouldn't have time to speak. Because it's Psalm 119, uh, which is the longest psalm in in the Bible. So if I was to share for all of it, that's all you're getting. Um, But today, I'm only going to be sharing from the first 16 verses today. So it will come up behind me, but also if you have your Bible on on you, why not turn to Psalms 119 so you can follow along together, verses 1 to 16. And it says this, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down your precepts that are fully to to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. We don't know who this psalmist is. It's anonymous. Who wrote this longest psalm that we have on record. But what we do know, if you read through the entirety of Psalm 119, it was a psalmist that was seeking refuge from persecutors and found strength in meditating, studying, and learning the word of God. This psalm is largely a collection of prayers and thoughts about God's word, and it describes how the word enables us to grow in holiness and handle the persecution and and pressures that always accompany an obedient walk of faith. We see in this material the great respect 
that author had for the word of God, the value and importance. We recount verses 5 and 6. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider your commands. Even verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Even verse 12, praise be to you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. There was a respect there. And for us, when we approach the word of God, this amazing material that we have before us, that is here for our benefit, we have to respect the material. It's the first point today, respecting the material. If we don't value the importance and benefit of what we're studying, the material before us, then we will not be diligent and faithful in our study of it. We won't give it our full attention. If we think it's not important, we're going to brush over it without a second thought, not take it in. It needs to be respected. Isaiah, one of the great major prophets, in chapter 40, verses 6 to 8, towards the end of that passage, he, he makes this statement how the word of God stands forever. It remains forever alive and fresh. It does not wither. It does not wilt. What God says will stand regardless of time and tragedy. And that's why it needs to be respected. It will last for all eternity. God's word will not fail. It has value at the beginning, and it has value now, and it will have value for, for eternity. It must be respected. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown of the Bible, some facts that maybe we know or maybe we don't know. The first is that the Bible is, to this day, the best-selling book of all time, selling over and above five billion copies worldwide. There are approximately 7,106 known languages in the entire world. As of 2020, the entire Bible, as we have it, has been translated into about 704 languages. The New Testament has been translated into additional 1,550, 51 languages. And some portions and stories that we see within Scripture has been translated into a further 1,160 languages. So that means that the Bible in some shape or form is available in around 3,415 different languages. How many of you have one of these? How many of you have that amazing Bible app, version app, yes? This application is free. And as of 2021, it had surpassed over 500 million downloads. It has about 2,600 versions of the Bible available in 1,800 languages. Uh, Life Church, I think it's called in America, where it originated from Pastor Craig Rochelle, working with other people, they gave a message last week, uh, last week, last year, on this. And it revealed what every single second what happens on that Bible app. Every single second somebody loads it up, 
Somebody starts a Bible plan. Somebody highlights a piece of scripture. Somebody puts in a prayer request. Somebody else says they're praying for a prayer request. Somebody completes a, a series or a devotional every single second across the world. The Bible is alive and it's transforming lives today. That's why it's got to be respected because it's relevant, it's important, and it's valuable. We have before us the Bible made up of about 66 books written by different authors though inspired by the one author. The Old Testament covers different times from 1200 BC right through to 165 BC. The New Testament was formed in 3rd century AD. Different styles are apparent throughout this book. Poetry, prophecy, parables, epistles, stories, narratives and proverbs, figures of speech, direct statements, guiding principles, moral guidelines, all with the same underlining theme that holds it all together. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 1, it'll come up behind me. We read how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. At the beginning of eternity past, before the world, the universe, all that we see exists, the Word existed. The Word was present. This is a tongue twister coming up. The Word, Word, you with me? The Word, Word, right, was a title that was given to God. God is the Word. But later John says that the Word as God. It's not only is God, but it's an expression of him. Jesus was and is expression of God to all mankind, revealing God to us. Let's think about that. Jesus, Son of God, came to this world. We heard from Alex last week, he couldn't do any more. We heard that story about Martha and Mary, and Martha saying, do you not care? Jesus came to the world and was a visible representation of God to mankind. The Word in flesh, showing us the characteristics of God. And now we have them recorded for our benefit, that we can read about God, his character, his qualities. Again, if we were to turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Every single one of us will face God one day. I'm just going to let that sink in. Every single one of us, one day, will stand before God. And our innermost attitudes 
and our motives will be assessed by one thing, and it's the word. One theologian I came across said, the word of God is the only power that can penetrate so deeply and expose so completely the inwardness of our being. The word of God is the key to knowing him, to knowing his character and desires for us. That's why it needs to be respected. And if there's anything I want to take from this first point, it's this. If we don't respect the material, we're not going to listen nor take in what it says. And if we don't listen and take in what it says, we're not going to apply its instruction. And if we don't apply its instruction, we're not going to be transformed, which is the goal from the start, isn't it? To be transformed into his likeness. Has anyone bought flat pack furniture before? Gone to Ikea? It was my days when I used to work for them, it'd be Argos, getting your flat pack furniture. Now, flat pack furniture is great because it comes with instructions, right? It has a picture on the front of the instructions saying, this is your goal. This is what you're going to try and make. You open the box and it's all in pieces. And then it shows you step by step how to put it together. How many of you have put it together without the instructions? <laughs> Be honest. Come on. Yeah? I have. And then how many of us have maybe put on the piece the wrong, the wrong way? Maybe had to put it apart again to try and figure it out. And maybe at the end of it all, you find that one screw and you're thinking, where does that go? Yet we, we realize that those instructions are there for our benefit. Not only does it, is it showing us the end result, it's guiding us to that end result. And if we follow it step by step, we can, we can save ourselves a bit of a headache when things don't come together on our own. If we follow it, it's still hard work. It still requires discipline. It still requires faithfully following what it says but then we'll have the end result perfectly without a screw left over. Let's respect this material. Let's not take it for granted. And now we read, and again, going back to the psalm, verse 1, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Verse 3, they do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. Then we have verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Second thing that's important and a bit of help, I think, for us is the importance of reading out rather than reading in. It's the second point. Reading out rather than reading in. One of the biggest, I think, errors that we can see today is the misapplication of Scripture. I see it in those outside the church. I've witnessed this, where the Bible is actually a research material by those even who don't believe in God. And they cherry-pick verses and use, use the Bible's own 
verses and scripture against those who faithfully abide by it. But I also see it, unfortunately, I also see it in churches. I see it within community of believers as well, where the Bible is cherry-picked, things are misapplied and misunderstood and used to support a point of view that maybe that's not the intended purpose of that passage. It's easier to compromise and stand firm on what this teaches. This is a challenging read. If, you're, if you read it all the way through, it's challenging. And there's things that we're going to be like, it does this to us. And because the culture is changing, society today believes the church must fit in. Fit in with the change of culture. Fit in with the change of society. But the truth is, we're not called to fit in. We're called to stand out. Right? Jesus gave an incredible sermon. One of the best sermons ever. It was a sermon on the mount. So much truth within that. In Matthew 5, we read how we are to be the light of the world. And instead of hiding in darkness, we are encouraged to let our light shine before others. Why? So that they can see our good works and then do what? Praise our Father in heaven. And we see throughout Scripture that light is a common symbol. It's used to refer to purity, for truth, for knowledge, divine revelation in God's presence, all in contrast to their opposites. We are all light bearers, and we're here to represent Christ in this world. Any speaker on this platform, I'm speaking to myself, but anyone who also speaks from this word has the responsibility to faithfully share what it says. It should never be my agenda, but instead a faithful and obedient proclamation of what God says. We're doing a life group series on the book of Galatians at the moment, and we're reading through that study how the Judaizers were trying to enforce laws on the Galatian believers for for them to follow. They say, you have to follow these laws. And Paul was saying, no, you don't. You've been told the message is by faith. We have to follow what the word says and not read into it what it doesn't say. Now, I believe our few Bible students will know what I'm going to share next, but even some of our Church scholars as well may know what I'm talking about. But for our benefit, I'm going to share a couple of terms that I think will help us and we can ask of ourselves when we're looking at Scripture. The first of, the, the first of these is eisegesis. How many, how many of you have come across this term, eisegesis? Yeah? This is the form of Bible study in which the student reads into Scripture their own ideas. It often occurs when we approach Scripture, maybe with a prejudice, and unfortunately, it can cause us to twist the message to it from its intended purpose. We all view life through a frame of reason, right? My experience of life is different to Graham's, it's different from Robin's, it's different from Hannah's, different from Robbie's. My walk in life is different to anybody. We all have a per- perspective of life. And unfortunately, sometimes we can look at Scripture through that frame, through that lens. 
And unfortunately, what can happen is we can obstruct its intended meaning. The next phrase is exegesis. I've got it behind me. Exegesis. This is deemed the correct form of Bible study in which the student draws out the correct and intended meaning of the biblical text. So when we approach scripture, we firstly have to understand that we already have a translation of the Bible because it's in English. It's not the original language. So we're already reading a translation of the text. And unfortunately, our English vocabulary is limited. We have sometimes one word that can mean multitude of things. And so when we read in scripture, we read words like love and hope and heal and healing and or light as well as an example, and they have different meanings depending on where they're being used. And sometimes we can just read one meaning when actually it means something else. This is why it's important that we are faithful and obedient in our study of this word. And we don't take it at face value. We're saying, what type of love is being described here? Because it's not just love, it's a specific type. The same with healing. Healing Is it physical healing? Or is it talking about a restored relationship? Is it the healing of our sin? What is being described in that passage? Hope. Is it wishful hope? Or is it confident expectation? Godly hope, because we know who, the God who we serve. What is being described in this passage? And this is why it's important also to not focus on individual verses. I put my hands up when I was growing up in faith, when I was new to faith, I was reading scripture and I would say, how does this verse apply to my life? Have you done that? How does this verse apply to my life? The truth of it is, it doesn't. Because there are no verses. In the original scripture, there were no verses. There were no chapters, there were no subdivisions. These were added in in about 1551. And they're for our benefit in one sense because it helps us navigate the word. But it also could be a detriment because it means we can then interpret it in the wrong way by focusing on verses rather than the whole paragraph, the line of thought that is written in. The precise point of a passage cannot be found in a singular verse or sentence, but in the role that verse plays in relationship to the verses above and below. And rather than isolating singular verses, we have to understand that narrative, that paragraph, that line of thought. We were having a little bit of a... We had a great conversation in our life group this week, and some great points were raised. And one of those was like the misquoting of scripture. And we were thinking, what if we have a verse in mind and think it's a verse to somebody, but we actually come up with the wrong verse in our mind? If we, as an example, you could take Paul's word in Galatians 4.11, where it says, I fear for you, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. 
that's, just, that's not very encouraging, is it? What if you were to share that with somebody, but you've actually misquoted it, it's the wrong verse that you wanted to say, and you said, Go to, it's, I've got Galatians 4.11 for you, and they read that, and they're like, they've wasted their efforts on me. But then you miss, actually, the whole passage and the intended meaning behind that phrase and what Paul was actually talking about. And this is why we've got to be careful with how we handle this. I'm almost there. I know I'm going over, but I want to get through this, and I think it's very important. In verses 14 to 16 of of the Psalm 119, we read, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. We have to, one, respect the material. We have to make sure that when we're reading it, we're not reading in, but we're reading out what it's actually saying. And when we read out, we can then respond accordingly. How we respond to this determines the outcome. Do we listen and obey, or do we ignore and do things our own way? I think it's important that we ask questions of the text that we're reading. What is going on here? What is the situation? How am I supposed to respond? How did they respond? And then what can I learn from how they responded to how I can respond today? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, We read this. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our most important relationship is our relationship with God. That should be the first thing, our relationship with God. This relationship will influence our conduct, the way we act, the way we behave, the way we speak. This world is constantly trying to squeeze us into its mould. You have to live this way, speak this, do this. And this is why we must be We must constantly dedicate ourselves to God, submitting ourselves to him. His way is better than our own. And the only way we're going to know his way is by knowing his word. The world elevates self. And unfortunately, in today's culture, we cannot say anything against the masses. If we say anything against the majority, we are then silenced. We, are, we, are, we, we face almost the persecution that we are told within Scripture. We are hated. We have words said against us because we hold a different point of view. But we are called to stand firm in the faith. Yes? 
Denial of self is fundamental in our walk with God and especially in our study of scripture. And there's one quote I want to share from a book I've been reading recently. It's from a guy called Brant Hansen. And he says, reality doesn't change to fit our interpretation of things. Reality doesn't change to fit our interpretation of things. It was from a book that is entitled Unoffendable, which I think is ironic because I think we can get offended very quickly, right? The Bible, in truth, can offend us, but we have to put that aside and surrender and obey because then we'll see the transforming power of God at work in our lives. Are we neglecting God's word? It's a question that we should ask ourselves daily. Are we neglecting the faithful study of this? Are we respecting it? Are we reading in or are we reading out? And are we responding to what it says? I don't ever want to take this for granted. I don't ever want to take this out of context. I don't ever want to misuse this. I want to faithfully obey what it says, no matter how difficult it may be, and do my best as a student of God, as a disciple of God, to faithfully obey what is said, but study it diligently and faithfully. And I pray for each one of us, we do the same, because we are here to reflect him, to live for him, to shine for him, and we do that by using the very tool that is for our benefit. Thank you for watching this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www.centre-church.uk.